0: Hey, if you're listening, it's Tof here from the Next Gen Movement, and welcome to Chapter 31 with Oscar Tromboli. Now, Oscar is known as a deep listening expert, and once I came across his story, I was very curious about him. He's on this very insightful quest where he's someone who's very passionate about, the, about using the gifts of listening, and the mission is to bring positive change in... Home and workplaces and around the world by creating an a copious amount of deep listeners in the world. He's aiming for a hundred million, and he's on his way. Now, Oscar has consulted for several organizations like Cisco and Google and PayPal, and the list continues. And what he's done there has helped their executives and their teams listen to what's unsaid by the customers and the employees. Now. Once I heard about Oscar, I thought I really have to get this guy on on the podcast because listening is something that I've wanted to get better at, um, in all aspects of my life. So in this chapter we talk about like what's the biggest mistake that's costed to him and we also go into the archetypes of the our listening villains, which is pretty fascinating, as well as the conscious about the types of conscious and unconscious listening. So without um, without further ado, would love for you to listen to this. If you can give this a share, if there's something that really resonated with you, please uh, screenshot this and share it on your socials. And feel free to tag um, Next Gen Movement and Oscar in this. And just give us any feedback on what you thought of the of the chapter as well. Anyway, hope you I hope you enjoy this one and have a great day on purpose. Welcome to Next Gen Movement, our sole mission to empower tomorrow's leaders by harnessing and unleashing collective wisdom, lessons and experiences of thought leaders within the community. Oscar Tromboli is on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world. He is an author host of the Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, and a sought-after keynote speaker. He is passionate about using the gifts of listening to bring positive change to homes, workplaces, and the world. Through his work with chairs, boards of directors, and executive teams in local, regional, and global organizations, Oscar has experienced firsthand the transformational impact leaders and organizations can have when they listen beyond the words. He consults to organizations including Cisco, Google, HSBC, News Corp, PayPal, Qantas, TripAdvisor, helping executives and the teams listen to what's unsaid by the customers and employees. Oscar lives in Sydney with his wife, Jenny, where he helps first-time runners and ocean swimmers conquer their fears and contributes to the Cure for Cancer as part of Cantu, a cancer research charity. We are very grateful to have Oscar on the Next Gen Movement today to share his insights on deep listening. Welcome, mate.
1: G'day to, looking forward to having today's conversation listening to your questions and listening to your tribe's questions as well
0: thanks mate now I've um I actually came across uh, your stuff from the Copper of life um, mm. my partner and I we we saw this and we're like I think this could both benefit us both because listening has not listening I should say has costed me mistakes and whether that's a work situation for rework Um, it's costed me like time and money because I didn't gather the full scope, but it's probably costed me past relationships um, both intimate and social, I should say. Mm. Um, So I'm, I'm curious to know when was the big, like the biggest mistake that costed you from when you weren't listening?
1: Well, I nearly drowned myself. Uh, is the answer to that question? I learned to swim as an adult, and uh, my wife and I were watching a group of ocean swimmers on the twenty sixth of January, which is a national holiday in Australia, swim three kilometres from uh, a coast uh, coastal beach across a headland out to the wide open ocean, and. Uh, on a good day, you can probably see New Zealand from there and uh, then back into a beach. And my wife challenged me because she knew I couldn't swim. She said, you should do this swim next year. <laughs> and I was like, what? I can't, I can't swim. And she says, well, you, you say if you put your mind to anything, anybody can do anything. So I'm completely freaked out. I didn't learn to swim when I was younger. And as a result, um, I started getting swimming lessons from an adult swim teacher. So Judy specifically focuses on adults trying to learn to swim because it's apparently very different from youngsters. We swam in a swimming pool. Over a period of four months, I kind of mastered the craft and could swim two and a half kilometres in a swimming pool, no problem. And then the day came where we went to the wide open ocean and went to the beach. And for the first week, all Judy did was explain to me, this is waves. This is a rip. Notice how the waves are falling here. Notice how the water's washing out there. Notice how this person's getting into the beach. Next week, we go down to the water, but we just stand in the water. We don't go any further. The following week, we go into the water and we just practice going through the breakers and the surf. And then the following week, we get in we get through the breakers and we go out and we start to swim and this is where i nearly drown so i swim the best part of five meters and it was a fairly calm day it wasn't anything dramatic and i my face was red i i just couldn't swim and i was confused and i wasn't getting breath into my lungs and judy just said to me just stop and collect your thoughts, stop panicking. I'm going to swim underneath you and I'm going to watch what you're doing under the water. So she was swimming underneath me and I swam maybe 20 strokes before I blew up again and my face was red and I couldn't breathe effectively and I was really panicky. And she said, okay, she, she pointed up and she said, let's go back in. So we went back into the beach and she said, you're not breathing. I said, what do you mean I'm not breathing? She said, in the pool, I taught you that you breathe out underwater and you breathe in when you come back out. You're breathing in and breathing out on the breath when your head's out of the water. I said, yeah, that's what I was doing in the swimming pool. She said, oh, no, you haven't been listening. And I said, what do you mean? That's, uh, I swam two and a half kilometers in a swimming pool. She said, weren't you listening? And I said, well, Jude's obviously not. She said, we're going to have to go back into the pool for a month and do remediations. So then I learned how to swim properly and breathe out underwater. And then I was able to go and swim. But if I didn't take the time and she wasn't as careful as she was as a swim coach and just threw me in the ocean and probably would have drowned if I, if my worst fears were realized so that's one time where listening nearly cost me my life
0: okay that makes a lot of sense cuz I, I did notice obviously i introduced you in how you you help first time runners and ocean swimmers is that how that came about then
1: yeah well uh, running a lot longer than i was swimming um because it's easier to do than than uh you know, running's just walking, just a little bit faster, and yeah, sure. There's techniques and nutrition and things like that. So yeah, I've, I've run many marathons and helped many people with marathons and ultra marathons, and uh, and the cancer fundraising group we're part of. Once you've done a couple of these, you you move into leadership roles and you help the coaches out, and yeah, particularly with ocean swims. I'm so conscious of first-time swimmers and i help them out and there is nothing they can do that i know i haven't done because uh, I've, I've probably made more mistakes than them so just having someone else by their side to say to them okay this is what's going to happen with this wave well, the only thing that matters is that you look at my eyes and you listen to my instructions. And when I say breathe or dive, you just do that. Don't think of anything else. And when waves are crashing over you for the first time, because a lot of these people that we're swimming with are adults who, in like me, they're just learning how to swim. That's a challenge they want to conquer. And it's those people who can just listen to the instruction that make the progress and those people who are fighting their inner voice, which is the voice that's saying, I guess it's just not natural, get out of this uh, and they hold their breath. And the same is true in conversations. We don't actually realize this, but when we get triggered or when we're in a situation of conflict or when we're in a situation of frustration, our breathing changes quite dramatically. It shortens and our conversations become unproductive as well so it's really critical for all of us just to become conscious of the role of breathing in our life and I know this is going to sound really simple but breathing correctly is in through your nose and out through your mouth and most people just breathe through their mouth and out through their mouth and if you want to increase your performance in any pursuit in life whether that's music athletic pursuits, or just being a great parent, just breathing properly in through your nose all the way down to the bottom of your lungs and out through your mouth, it will set your mind up and your body for really peak performance.
0: That that makes a lot of sense. I know from, I can relate to the endurance side of things, especially the ocean swimming. Um, I've done a few triathlons and half Ironmans and swimming in a pool is one thing, and it, it teaches, I guess, technique. But being in the ocean <laughs> is another kettle of fish, um, literally. But it's it, there is that anxiety of there is nothing around me. Um, like, I have a fear of jellyfish. Um, so, like, that fear kicks in, and the breathing kicks in, and the adrenaline goes in. By the end of the swim, I'm knackered. And then I've got to do a hundred, like a 90 K cycle because, and I've got no energy. Um, and it's because of my breathing. And I think a lot of people would get value from that when you're being, when you're teaching them how to, or anyone that's listening really um, to this would get value from that. Cause you wouldn't be using all your energy. And I guess that has me curious about when you were saying before, it's like a lot of the, the fear on the inside And I know within your book, you have like that five, the five steps of listening. And one of Mm. them is the unsaid. And do have you found like the stories that we tell ourselves or that fear of judgment is a big proponent of what stems from that, where people don't speak up on what they want to say because of conflict.
1: A lot of time people don't speak up because they're still in dialogue with themselves and the dialogue is generally not positive. Uh, if you listen to all the voices in your own head, and uh, you wouldn't have them as friends, they, the way they talk to you. So f- for many of us, it's difficult to speak up when we're still speaking to ourselves. And many of us have all these browser tabs open in our mind We've got a browser tab open about what we want to eat next. We've got a browser tab open about what just happened. We've got a browser tab open about what's about to happen. It's happening for you right now, listening. You've got browser tabs open and you're distracted trying to focus on this conversation while more than likely doing something else. And if people just realize that if they took 30 seconds, drank a glass of water took three deep breaths, switch off the notifications on their devices, they'd be in a much better place not only to hear what is genuinely what they want to say, but also to offer that up to a person in front of you in a team meeting, in a group setting, whatever the case is. But you, you'll you be speaking your truth rather than speaking what you think they should be hearing about you when you use a mask, rather than speak about who you are. So listening always starts with listening to yourself. And too many people think listening starts by getting fixated on the speaker, and at some point in the process you will. But like me, despite the fact you can swim really well in a swimming pool, um, once the conversation gets going, it's messy like waves on an ocean. It's uh, unpredictable like waves on an ocean. And unless you've got good, good foundational skills there and the ability to notice when you've been knocked off your balance and go, that's okay, I can pick myself back up, then a lot of us kind of keep going out with the water rather than just pausing treading order and going, okay, let's get our bearings in this conversation and look around and go, what would be the productive thing to do? And most of the time, the productive thing to do is just collect your own thoughts.
0: When, when you mentioned before how it, it it's the listening starts with ourselves. I think that's just a good lesson of life, right? Like when we are, how we treat others is how we treat ourselves and, anything that we project onto anyone. That's almost like our insecurities are projected onto people. So it's, it's fascinating how this listening to ourselves is almost like a self development technique that we'ren't that we're not taught, especially at schools.
1: We the ancients teach us this, um, whether it's, The Aboriginal nations of Australia, or the Maori, or the Inuit of North America, or the Polynesian cultures of the Pacific Islands, or the jungle cultures of Africa Mm. and South America. Any ancient spiritual practice, even churches teach, you know, the rituals they have created are all about connecting with self in a place of quiet reflection. And, you know, whether, whether it's a religious practice or a cultural practice, the ones that are sustained across millennia are the ones that ask us first to notice ourselves. And, yeah, I have no idea why it's not taught at schools. And yet the teachers we remember the most, Toph, are the ones who listen to us the ones who could hear things in us that we weren't hearing in ourselves, the one who could see things in us that we couldn't see in ourselves. And uh, some of those teachers are great role models by teaching it rather than, by being it rather than actually teaching it. So, yeah, well, a lot of people ask me, what will it take, Oscar, for you to be able to teach listening to school kids? And uh, I always say we teach listening to school kids every day by the way parents and teachers role model listening to them. You know, a lot of people will listen the same way that their parents listened or their significant teachers as well. So I'm not sure why it's not taught. The, we we each have a role to play. If we can if we can listen to ourselves first, that that will start to transform many other things. And at the moment, I'm doing a lot of workshops via video conference. And the most commented on thing, I, I cover a lot of things, and the most commented on thing is that the fifteen minute mark of every one of these meetings that I do, I invite everybody to switch off their webcams and their microphones and spend five minutes by themselves pondering what they're not listening to in themselves and the feedback that comes back in the chat box. And I've done this exercise with five people and I've done this exercise with 500 people. And the words that come back consistently are calming, transformational, restorative, because at the moment, just our ability to pause is something that will give us energy that we're quite depleted on and it just gives us that moment to be in a good conversation with ourselves so that's oh, i'd love to know the answer why we don't teach it at school
0: yeah if it, it's kind of like having more of a discussion around it i think it will eventually come It i, I hit to me that sounds like with what mental health is like today like it's okay to talk about it like it's more acceptable because Mm. there's more of a presence around it and i think it's the same thing obviously with what you're doing and you're trying to help 100 million people eventually that will catch on and the bandwagon effect and the cheerleader the cheerleader effect will kick in so hopefully whoever's listening may be a teacher that says i would love to have this or and whatnot but the, the whole even that in itself is kind of like what happens in sales, right? So the, 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 the saying um, a lot of sales is pretty much listening. and I can hear that like I see the value of listening being around friends that may be having a tough time. Do, do you think I would like actually would like I'm very curious what your thoughts would be around this. when someone is having a tough time and hearing them and just letting them out, is it better to them to come up with their own solution on how to solve it or do we kind of like nudge them with our own two cents to give them ideas on how they can solve it from what we know already
1: I don't know but here's a great question to practice at the beginning of those kinds of conversations hmm. what do you need from me in this conversation it's rarely asked, but when it's asked, it's transformational because people go, oh, okay, what do I want from you in this conversation? Toph? I just want you to listen. I don't want any solutions. I just want to vent. I just want to get it off my chest. Or, yeah, good good question, Toph. You know what? Um, I, I'm struggling. I've got three different ways I could approach this, and I'd love to bounce it off you, and then maybe at the end we can figure out whether there's, the three, the right three, or maybe we'll, maybe I'll discover something else. And when you do, when you ask them how, you know, do they want you to listen in this conversation? It's already sending them a listening signal. It says I, I value this conversation so much that I want to hear from you about how we're going to have the conversation. We haven't even got into the stuff, into the content. If you ask that question, there speaking posture will change. And they'll say what they want to say in a very different way because now they are clear about how you will act as the speaker and uh, the listener while they're speaking. Now they'll give you some really interesting code words. This is a commercial break from neuroscience. Um when they speak, they speak at it between 125 words and 150 words a minute. And when they think, they can think in a range from 900 words to 1600 words per minute. So if you think about that maths, it's, it's like connecting a garden hose to a dam wall. You've got all this water wanting to rush out through this very, very thin pipe. So I think at 900 words a minute, I speak at 125. So the likelihood that the very first thing I say, Toph, is what I mean, it's 11% chance, 11%. We all go through life having conversations with people where we've got an 11% chance of what they say is what they mean.
0: Mm.
1: So we just want to practice three really skillful phrases in that moment. Tell me more. And these are all really short questions, so they'll be easy to remember. And what else? That's also called the all question, AWE, and what else? And then the third one is silence. Just pause. Just let them let their mouth catch up with their mind. And what happens is these magical phrases. I was literally teaching this in a workshop yesterday, and we went into breakout room rooms and halfway through it, one of the people in the breakout group went, now that I've thought about it, actually what I should have said was, so they'll always sigh, they'll always draw in a breath and they'll use code words like actually, or they'll say, you know what, or they'll say, what I meant to say was, or you know what's really important that we haven't talked about so far? And once they start to use all these code words, what you know and what you're discovering is these extra 125 words that are stuck in their head. So in that moment, Toph, back to your original question, don't try and figure out the answer to that question. Just ask them. And that helps move the power to them rather than them giving up power to you as an expert or a problem solver, just ask them. I always say the brain with a problem is the brain with a solution. And I haven't encountered a situation yet where that's not true.
0: Now that has me actually wondering about when, when you wrote your book and I actually uh, read it on holidays last week, very informative, loved it um very bite-sized and um digestible um that i did come across the conscious listening which is obviously the inversely proportional of listening villains and Mm. with those three questions there was uh tell me more and what else and just dead silence do you Mm. feel like with like tell me more that's more curious and what else that's more intentional and in silence is just like systemic. Do you feel like they fall under any of those categories?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting. I'm not sure you noticed you use the word actually before um, when you reflected on that, when you read the book. So you made the connection between a thought in your head and the, the book. And so that, that, that was a lovely example of that. Um, you also use the word dead silence. And uh, I think, in the West, a lot of us make judgment around silence. We call it dead silence or we call it the deafening silence or the pregnant pause or the awkward silence. Uh, we should just treat silence like it's a word and listen to the beginning, and middle and end of silence. So uh, that's the other thing I'd love is just for us to become a little bit more comfortable uh, in regard to our silence. Back to those three approaches, those three questions to explore what's unsaid, it's really important for us to know this is the dirty little secret of listening. And if you can get there, it makes listening really easy to do. The secret is this, uh, your job as a listener is not to make sense of what they're saying. Your job as the listener is to help them make sense of what they're thinking. Mm. And a lot of us waste effort because we think what they say is what they mean. And in most cases, they haven't had the opportunity to fully explore this idea. So back to your question about, you know, tell me more versus and uh, and what else. Uh, They do have different intentions to commence. They help us notice the difference between exploration in a conversation and discovery. I think too many of us want to discover too early in a conversation where what we need to do is explore more and discover less. And the exploration is for the speaker, not for us as the listener. And we get caught and we run down gullies and we go into places that we have to backtrack from because we spend too much time trying to discover rather than explore. And it's in the exploration of helping them explore what they haven't said out aloud that is the transformational part of listening. Not just for you, but also for them. And people will always say, you know, my goal in any of my discussions with my consulting clients when I'm working with them one-on-one, I play a game. How few words can I say? And yet they feel it's a, it's a great experience. And I literally can have a complete conversation with somebody in a 15-minute period using those three phrases. And somebody said to me about a month ago, Oh my God, you just did that to me and I didn't even realise. I just felt like it was a conversation. And I think for a lot of us, once we move from mechanical to human dialogue, you know, hey, I'd love to know more. It's exactly the same intention as tell me more. Um, All of a sudden, people can explore their thinking a little bit more. So just remember, as a listener, your job is not to make sense of what they are saying. Your job is to help them make sense of what they're thinking.
0: I definitely relate to that because there are times where I have trouble articulating what I want to say. <laughs> and that, that's, that's perfect to know for myself that I'm, it, it could even be like a prompt for myself to what are the questions I need to ask myself? so that whatever I need to say, I can articulate it as best as possible. Um, mm. Now, I have um, actually, like, one of our listeners is a big fan of you. It's actually my partner. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she wanted to send in a question, actually, Oscar. Um, okay. I want to pl- play to you if, you if you are able to uh, answer. Yeah, it. yeah, go ahead. Perfect. All right, let me get this. Ready now. hi Oscar Bernie here from Brisbane I have been doing
1: a lot of practicing mindfulness and deep breathing exercises this year
0: and I've noticed that I interrupt less and tend to listen and observe more
1: during conversations so clearly something's working there but from your opinion what is the science behind deep breathing, contributing to improved deep listening. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. Bernie, there's a great book I'd recommend you read by James Nestor. It's called Breath, and it's about the ancient art of breathing. And he has spent as much time discovering The art and science of breathing, as I have of listening, when I interviewed him for my podcast recently, it was amazing because it was like two kindred souls who are so passionate about a topic. So, what James would tell you about the science of listening and why it gets you into a better state the act of breath and uh, deep breath, specifically, and a breath that's in through your nose, down all the way to the bottom of your lungs, and hopefully, even your. Bottom of your diaphragm and then out through your mouth. Um, number one, it's releasing toxins uh, from from your body, but it is sending a signal to a part of the nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system, and it literally exists in in your body that says everything's okay. Don't worry. There's no saber toothed tigers around. Now modern people don't have saber toothed tigers to worry about. But the act of taking a breath in and a deep breath sends a signal to the part of the nervous system that says, stay calm. In fact, be calm. It also releases a series of chemicals that send signal to the fear part of the brain, um, the limbic system, which is basically where the skull meets the um, back of your spinal column. And it says, there's nothing to fear right now. So when you're in a place of no fear, no judgment, and you're completely present, you will start to not only hear things you haven't heard before, you'll start to see things you haven't seen before. But the part that's really transformational is you'll start to sense changes in their body energy that you've never sensed before. So it may be a slight tilt of the head that you notice that's incongruent with what they're saying, but because you're effectively empty and you can be present in that space, that's the reason why breathing, three deep breaths, will send a signal to the parasympathetic nervous system and say, everything's okay, you can listen fully, completely and without judgment for this time.
0: When you actually said James Nestor, I had a chuckle. Uh, I was chatting to B last night and we had a quick chat and I said, look, I'm interviewing Oscar tomorrow. And she goes, okay, cool, cool. I'll, I'll get that question sent to you. And she said, it's funny because it's all kind of connected. I think one of her colleagues said, you've got to come across this guy and it's James Nestor who I believe was on, um, on Joe Rogan. And then she started following all the stuff and then she realized that you had interviewed him as well. And, uh, it's, it's almost like, I, I, I find like a weird correlation. You say listening is to breathing, but I think listening is almost a connection and hmm. the, I th- everything is intertwined, intertwined and interconnected. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about it best. how he says the five main elements in the world in the universe Um, Are actually the exact same five elements that are in our body. I think he says there's oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, um, water, and I've totally butchered everything he just said. I've just paraphrased it to me. me. Um, So I think listening does come back to connection, and you also said something before how we're able to listen better if we're empty, and that's emptying all the thoughts and the inside, and ironically on the other side I think to empty the thoughts we have to fill our cups and that's the cup of self-love and self-worth and looking after ourselves essentially so that we can empty all the judgment Um, because I, I feel that if I'm ever judging someone I'm judging myself and that's there's a bit of work I need to do myself because of whatever insecurity has popped up, something that I may have not processed correctly from childhood. And when I start to look after myself, I might not check my phone first thing in the morning and I, I may do what I need to do before I go to work and and do a bit of meditation, then check my phone. Um, When I'm able to do that, I realize that I'm able to look after myself better and judge people a lot less I feel like it's hard to judge people, like eradicate it. Sometimes it pops in, obviously do my best so that I can listen to others. Do, do you think that's, um, do you resonate with that at all?
1: Yeah. And you're never going to be empty. The The act of listening means you're going to be processing something anyway, but it's just noticing and not trying to give that idea energy. So a lot of people say to me, Oscar, how do I stop the monkey mind? And how do I, It's like, you're not just let it go and let, let it pass through, but no, no, notice when it starts, wave a goodbye and something else will come back in its place. Uh, one of, one of my favorite, uh, conversations was listening to somebody interview a monk who they said, Oh, at what point was your mind completely empty? And they just laughed for about a minute and they go, my, my mind's never empty. (laughs) to think that meditation is going to get your mind completely empty is a fallacy. And I, and I think the same is true. Um, when it, when it comes to being empty, uh, it's an aspiration, but you're never going to achieve it. And, uh, it's just a great direction to head in, you know, for, you know, when you're set off for a run during you know you might decide i'm going out for a run for for 5k today but your body might tell you at the 3k mark um, unfortunately you'll have to stop and it's noticing and listening at that point to go yeah you should stop as opposed to that moment where your ego goes no 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 i'm going to finish that uh, 5k run and you make yourself more injured <laughs> than you would have if you just stopped at the 3k mark and Go to run another day tomorrow, as opposed to being injured for another week and a half, or three weeks, or even longer, because you haven't listened.
0: Mm. I, uh, I've got a, I've got goosebumps as you're talking about the running, uh, because before we jumped on the air, we we're talking about injuries and whatnot. We're both going through one as we speak, and. I remember when I first started running, I had, I was so excited to see how far I could go. I went from literally the marathon distance to doing a 50K -er, to a 50 miler to a hundred miler. And then I just kept going and going. And I had an injury in my first year, a pretty common running injury. And then that led to something else, but I should have listened to what my body was telling me at the time, because I am paying for it now In, in stress, in in time and money and obviously that's a lesson that i found in myself that to always listen to what my body is saying and just feel in and check in um so that that one definitely hit me (laughs) when you're talking about that um as as we start to uh wrap things up oscar um Mm. i just want to acknowledge you i I just want to say thank you so much it was um i was very humbled that you you were very keen to jump on um i got a lot of value from your book and just your presence alone i think you're doing an incredible job of your your mission in life um with helping 100 million people um be um be better at deep listeners um i i feel like i'm one of those people that is 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 doing his best so You've only
1: got 999,999 uh, 99, 99, um, to go. Someone asked me the other day, how many am I up to? So we're up to about 1.7 million. So, uh, you know, we've, we, we haven't really made a dent, uh, as somebody said to me, if you can achieve your goal in your lifetime, it's not ambitious enough. So whether, whether I get to 100 million before I leave the planet, that's another story, but it definitely sets my intention completely differently with an aspirational quest for a hundred million. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. And I, th- I think it's just the intent behind it is just the important thing. So I um, mm. just want to say thank you from wholeheartedly from the bottom, of my heart um, with what you're doing. Cause I think you are literally saving lives and um, in a different way, but just saving relationships and you're saving um, time and energy, which are resources that we can't, um, get back. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. No worries. Now, um, where can, where can people find you, right? Where, like, do you have anything upcoming that you would like to promote? Do you have, um, any social media handles that you would like to plug that where people can find you at all?
1: the easiest thing for everybody to do is uh, discover your listening barriers. Take the seven minute listening quiz at listeningquiz.com and you'll get a five page report telling you what your listening barriers are and an action plan, three steps focusing on for the first 21 days. And then you can continue that with a, with a 90 day deep listening challenge as well. So listeningquiz.com that's the easiest thing to remember that'll connect you with everything else. So com is something that will give you value straight away and you'll discover what kind of barriers are getting in the way of your listening.
0: Fantastic. Now the one question that we'd like to ask, well, I guess is Hmm. uh, which we ask at the very end is what is the number one piece of game changing advice that you could give to the next generation?
1: listen to yourself
0: fantastic i thought i would just add in a silence there because <laughs> uh, i'm trying to get better at it like w- just quickly on that what why is it so awkward for people to chuck in a silence to leave the silence and to fill it like w- what w- what have you found there yeah.
1: Again, it's back to an orientation around am I trying to make sense of what they are saying? Then silence becomes unproductive. If I'm trying to have an orientation around can I help them understand what they're thinking? How can I help them understand what meaning they're trying to make from what they're thinking, the silence becomes much easier and it's much lighter. And it's really simply silence that's awkward. Your attention is on yourself. Silence that's light and productive. Your attention is on both of you. So just notice where your attention is. And I often talk about this very simple distinction between When you come into a conversation, are you paying attention or are you giving attention? And when you pay attention, silence is awkward. And when you give attention, it's curious, it's generous, it's expansive. Um, Silence is simple then. So just notice, you know, are you giving attention or are you paying attention? And you can't give attention to everybody all the time. That, That also is unrealistic it's just in that noticing, where is my attention right now? You will be able to move the dialogue, whether that's a group dialogue or individual dialogue or a country's dialogue. um, If your attention is in, it's less likely to be productive. If your attention is out, it's
0: more expansive. Fantastic. I know I broke protocol there with going on with another question after the final question, but I just, I had to ask him, I had to chuck another cheeky one in. Um, but man, thank you so much. It it was a invigorating chat and probably what I needed before I needed to go to a day of work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to apply from what you've heard today?
0: Those three questions you sent before, um, Mm. I was going to say those three questions in silence, but silence is actually in silence. Isn't really a question, but the, uh, what else tell me more. Um, and just being silent and letting the other person speak, um, just let them obviously speak and just be there is what I am trying to implement a little bit more each day, if anything. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you, man.